Senate Armed Services Committee heard testimony today from top Pentagon officials about the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley, and Commander of the United States Central Command General Kenneth McKenzie faced questions about the Biden administration's plan for conducting counterterrorism missions in the future and an airstrike that resulted in the death of 10 civilians. Additionally, Milley received questions on his calls to the Chinese government in the last few months of the Trump presidency. have questions on many things, such as why we turned over Bagram Airfield, and how real is our over-the-horizon capability, and why didn't we start evacuation sooner, and why didn't we stay longer to get more people out. So let me take each in turn. Retaining Bagram would have required putting as many as 5,000 U.S. troops in harm's way just to operate and defend it, and it would have contributed, contributed little to the mission that we've been assigned and that was to protect and defend the embassy, which was some 30 miles away. That distance from Kabul also rendered Bagram of little value in the evacuation. And staying at Bagram, even for counterterrorism purposes, meant staying at war in Afghanistan, something that the President made clear that he would not do. As for over-the-horizon operations, when we use that term, we refer to assets and target analysis that come from outside the country in which the operation occurs. These are effective and fairly common operations. Indeed, just days ago, we conducted one such strike in Syria, eliminating a senior al-Qaeda figure. Over-the-horizon operations are difficult, but absolutely possible. And the intelligence that supports them comes from a variety of sources and not just boots, just U.S. boots on the ground. As for when we started evacuations, we offered input to, state, to the State Department's decision, mindful of their concerns that moving too soon might actually cause the very collapse of the Afghan government that we all wanted to avoid, and that moving too late would put our people and our operations at greater risk. And as I said, the fact that our troops were on the ground so quickly is due in large part to our planning and our prepositioning of forces. And as for the mission's end, my judgment remains that extending beyond the end of August would have greatly imperiled our people and our mission. The Taliban made clear <coughs> that their cooperation would end on the 1st of September. And as you know, we face grave and growing threats from ISIS-K. Staying longer than we did would have made it even more dangerous for our people and would not have significantly changed the number of evacuees we could get out. Now, as we consider these tactical issues today, we must also ask ourselves some equally tough questions about the wider war itself and pause to think about the lessons that we have learned over the past 20 years. Did we have the right strategy? Did we have too many strategies? Did we put too much faith in our ability to build effective Afghan institutions, an army, an air force, a police force, and government ministries? We helped build a state, Mr. Chairman, but we could not forge a nation. The fact that the Afghan army that we and our partners trained simply melted away, in many cases without firing a shot, took us all by surprise, and it would be dishonest to claim otherwise. We need to consider some uncomfortable truths. That we didn't fully comprehend the depth of corruption and poor leadership in the senior ranks. That we didn't grasp the damaging effect <coughs> 
effect of frequent and unexplained rotations by President Ghani of his commanders. That we didn't anticipate the snowball effect caused by the deals that the Taliban commanders struck with local leaders in the wake of the Doha Agreement. And that the Doha Agreement itself had a demoralizing effect on Afghan soldiers. And finally, that we failed to grasp that there was only so much for which and for whom many of the Afghan forces would fight. We provided the Afghan military with equipment and aircraft and the skills to use them. Over the years, they often fought bravely. Tens of thousands of Afghan soldiers and police died. But in the end, we couldn't provide them with the will to win, at least not all of them. And as a veteran of that war, I am personally reckoning with all of that. But I hope, as I said at the outset, that we do not allow a debate about how this war ended to cloud our pride in the way that our people fought it. They prevented another 9-11. They showed extraordinary courage and compassion in the, war's last, in the war's last days. And they made lasting progress in Afghanistan that the Taliban will find difficult to reverse and that the international community should work hard to preserve. Now, our service members and civilians face a new mission, helping these Afghan evacuees move on to new lives and new places. And they are performing that one magnificently as well. I spent time with, with some of them up at Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst just yesterday. I know that you share my profound gratitude and respect for their service, their courage, and professionalism, and I appreciate the support that this committee continues to provide them and their families. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Uh, General Milley, I believe you have a statement. Chairman Reed. General. Uh, Secretary Larson, the, the Doha Agreement represents uh, direct negotiations with terrorists, and not just negotiations, but an agreement with them that excluded the Afghan government and the uh, allies who've been fighting with us now since 9-11. Uh, uh, it set a fixed departure date uh, with conditions um, has been indicated were not really can follow consistently by the um, Taliban. As you considered uh, in April what to do, did the intelligence suggest to you that reneging on the departure of the troops would lead to significant attacks against American and allied military forces? Uh, Chairman, uh, to my recollection, the, uh, the intelligence was clear that uh, if we did not leave in accordance with that agreement, uh, the Taliban would, uh, would recommence uh, attacks on our forces. And they would include the blue on green attacks? and any other means they could use to attack American forces. That's correct, Chair. So the, the choice was, uh, in many respects, was were we going to incur additional casualties indefinitely uh, in Afghanistan? Is that, that's one way to look at it. Is, is that fair? That's correct, Chairman. You, you certainly would have to do uh, take additional measures to be able to defend yourself if the Taliban recommence their offensive operations against us. Now, uh, uh, General Milley did, uh, and General McKenzie, did the Doha Agreement affect the morale of the Afghan forces, i.e., was there a sense now that even though it was months away that the United States was leaving since we had agreed to leave? 
I'll let uh, Frank talk the details, but my assessment is yes, Senator. It did affect the morale of the Afghan security forces. Yeah, General McKenzie. Sir, it's my judgment that the Doha agreement did negatively affect the performance of the Afghan forces, by, and in particular by some of the actions that the government of Afghanistan was required to undertake as part of that agreement. And one of the critical issues was the um, agreement to withdraw contractors, uh, which uh, are basically the the engine that maintains the uh, the Air Force of Afghanistan and many other logistical operations. And uh, that was just as critical as the troop departure, I would assume. Chairman, it was. Uh, we had. Uh plans in place to try to conduct those operations from over the horizon. They were not as effective as having contractors on the ground on site with the aircraft. Uh, the momentum appeared to be shifting uh, to the Taliban. Um, indications were uh, their penetration of parts of the country in the northern sectors, particularly which traditionally uh, opposed the Taliban, the Northern Alliance. Uh, and but that started to be fair. Uh, to be fair, that started long before Doha. Uh, there are some commentators who have suggested uh, since 2014 the Taliban have been uh, surrounding provincial capitals, insinuating themselves into the politics of the local communities, striking bargains. Is that your impression too, General McKenzie? So I think from t uh, it is a good assessment that from 2014 on, the Taliban did pursue that strategy, and they had some success. Now, the government of Afghanistan also had success holding on to centralized urban areas and population centers. But the Taliban pursued a distinct strategy and had some success with it. Now, uh, General, uh, excuse me, Secretary Austin, uh, you did provide your best military advice to the president regarding uh, the situation in Afghanistan and has been recounted several times, there were multiple meetings, uh, and he received advice from many different quarters. Do you feel that you, you had the opportunity to make your advice very clear? I, I do, Chairman. Uh, as I've said before, I always keep my, uh, my advice to the President uh, confidential, uh, but I am very much satisfied that we had a, a thorough uh, policy uh, review, and I believe that uh, all of the, the parties uh, had an opportunity to provide input, and that input uh, was received. Thank you very much. Uh, Senator Inhofe. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. It was two weeks ago that we had a, a closed classified hearing. We had General Miller's uh, recommendation at that time. Uh, well, let me first of all just mention that during their confirmation process, you committed, and I'm speaking now to General McKenzie and General Milley, uh, to giving your honest and personal views of this committee, even if those views were uh, differed from those of the administration, and I'm confident that you will be doing that. During this hearing that we had, uh, we, uh, it was emphasized to us from General Miller that we uh, that uh, we he was recommending the 2,500 troops uh, in Africa uh, in Afghanistan. Now we didn't receive the documentation from your offices. I say to the the uh, witnesses today until well 
actually 10.35 last night. So there really wasn't time to get into the, a lot of the details, but I'd ask General McKenzie, did you agree to the recommendation that um, uh, General Miller uh, had two weeks ago? Senator, um, again, I won't, I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Yes, I understand that. And uh, General Milley, I assume you agree with that in terms of the recommendation of 2,500? What I said in my opening statement and the memoranda that I wrote back in the fall of 2020 remained consistent, and I do agree with that. This committee is unsure as to whether or not General Miller's uh, recommendation ever got to the president. Um, you know, obviously, there are conversations with the president, yeah, but I would like to ask, even though uh, General McKenzie, I think you've all made this statement, did you talk to the president about General Miller's uh, recommendation? Sir, I was present when that discussion uh, occurred, mm -hmm. and I'm confident that the president heard all the recommendations and listened to them very thoughtfully. So one of the recommendations that was made by the three uh, of you would be the recommendation that originally was made by General Miller's uh, uh, two, uh, two weeks ago. Um, during the August 18th interview on ABC, George Stephanopoulos asked President Biden, whether U.S. troops would stay beyond August 31st if there are still Americans to evacuate. President Biden responded, and this is a quote, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay to get them all out. Um, this didn't happen. Uh, the President's, uh, Biden's decision resulted in all of the troops leaving, but the American citizens are still trying to get out. Um, how many, how many American citizens, uh, is it your opinion, are still there? Uh, just, just go down the line, each one of you. Anyone? Uh, Senator, I would uh, defer to the State Department for that, uh, for that uh, assessment. That's, uh, that's a dynamic process. They've, they've been contacting the uh, civilians that are in, in Afghanistan. And, uh, and again, I, I would defer to them for definitive numbers. Uh, go ahead. Others? Just same, uh, as the Secretary just said. There, there were numbers at the beginning of this whole process with a, uh, the F-77 report out of the, um, out of the embassy, um, and we know that we took out uh, almost 6,000, I guess it is, American citizens, uh, but how many remain? Well, okay, do, you, do all of you agree that uh, Secretary of State Blinken, when he made his analysis as to how many people would be here, but would still be there. He talked about the 10 to 15,000 citizens left behind, and uh, the and then evacuated right. some 6,000. That would mean States, a minimum of 4,000. Any American who wants to come home, we'll get you home. Uh, would still We're going to stay and get them out. With the that? President of the United States, our Commander in Chief, did exactly the opposite. Now, I think you were right, General Milley, when you advised that that um, 
our credibility would be damaged. Our credibility has, has been gravely damaged, has it not, General Milley? I think that our credibility um, with allies and partners around the world and with adversaries uh, is being intensely reviewed by them to see which way this is going to go. Uh, and I think that damage is one word that could be used, yes. Yes, and uh, Secretary Austin, no question that this sends a disastrous message to China and Russia. What message does it send to our NATO allies and our other allies around the world about not only our credibility, but our national resolve? Uh, thanks, Senator. What the world witnessed uh, is United States military evacuating 124,000 people uh, for, out of a contested environment in 17 days. Well, you, you testified that that was a great accomplishment, our withdrawal and our evacuation. What about our credibility? As I, as I engage uh, my, my counterparts, uh, I, I think our credibility remains solid. Clearly, uh, Senator, there will be people who question uh, things going forward. But I would say that, uh, you know, we, the United States military is one that, uh, and the United States of America, uh, people place uh, great uh, trust and confidence in. And relationships are things that we have to work on continuously. And, and we understand that and we'll continue to do that. Uh, first, General Milley, in your testimony, you said and uh, you mentioned that there are many lessons to be learned. Uh, what did you mean by that statement? I think, uh, Senator, thank you. The, I think there's a series of strategic lessons to be learned, um, and, and I would echo some of the ones uh, that Senator Reid mentioned early on. Specific military lessons we have to take a hard look at. The United States military was tasked under the 2002 Bonn Agreement to train, man, and equip the Afghan army. The Germans were required to train, man, and equip the Afghan police. As we built that army and all of its components, I think that one error we may have made uh, over time is we made them too dependent on technology, too dependent on our capabilities. Uh, we didn't take in the cultural aspects perhaps as much as we should have, and we mirror imaged, to put it simply. I think that's a big lesson. We're gonna have to take a hard look at it, and the result is when you pull contractors, you pull troops, the, that, I think, is one of many contributing factors to the rapid collapse. So that's a big lesson. Another one is the intel lesson that we talked about. I think that's in the military realm as well as the uh, intelligence community realm. There's a lot of other lessons, legitimacy of the government, corruption of the government. Um, those sorts of things are all out there as to why that government uh, collapsed as rapidly as it could. Uh, but those are for others to sort out. There's a specific set of military lessons we need to pull out within the military. I've also read... Um I've read various opinion pieces. Um, I know everyone here is deeply disturbed that the trained Afghan military did not perform as expected. Um, I'd like your thoughts on if they had performed as expected, would we have seen a prolonged civil war? What is your estimate of what the impact of them actually fighting would have been? My estimate is if they had, uh, you know, performed as we expected them to perform, that. Uh, the government would still be there. They would have probably lost significant chunks of territory, but uh, Kabul would be there in some of the major provincial capitals. But I'd defer that. Probably you get a, a more granular view from that from General McKenzie. General McKenzie? I, mean, I, I think had the, had the Afghan military fought, 
we would have probably seen the Kabul bowl, the approaches to Kabul, get into the winter, still under the control of the government of Afghanistan. A lot of the outlying provinces would not have been. But I would just note that it wasn't so much the collapse of the Afghan military as the, the collapse of the Afghan government writ large. Those two things happened together, and they were, they were um, completely linked together. So when you consider one, I think you have to think about the other. Additionally, in retrospect, um, one of the areas of debate has been whether we should have started our evacuation earlier. And I recognize that the Kabul government asked us not to start our evacuation early. Can you speak to uh, what you now know and whether it would have been uh, smarter or more effective if we had started evacuating personnel a year in advance or six months in advance or any time in advance? Uh, General Milley, in your written testimony, you state a withdrawal would increase risks of regional instability, the security of Pakistan and its nuclear arsenals, a global rise in violent extremist organizations, our global credibility with allies and partners would suffer, and a narrative of abandoning the Afghans would become widespread. Would you agree that all of these things have happened over the last eight weeks or are currently happening? I think uh, in the main, uh, yes, Senator. Uh, most of those are probably happening uh, right now. I have been frustrated by the lack of someone in charge and lines of authority, a point person. We need an evacuation czar, somebody who will provide a plan and supervise action so that we can get out of Afghanistan, the Americans that remain there. And I will tell you, uh, we don't have an estimate on the number because nobody is in charge right now. So let me ask you, uh, Secretary Austin, who at the Department of Defense has overall responsibility with overseeing the effort to evacuate? As you know, well, first of all, Senator, thank you for, uh, to you and your colleagues for all that you've done to help, continue to help to, uh, get uh, American citizens uh, out of Afghanistan. Uh, the State Department, uh, following our, the departure of the military, the State Department remained engaged and continued to work to, uh, to get American citizens out. And as, uh, as we've seen, some 85 American citizens and, and uh, 79 uh, legal permanent re residents have departed uh, via the Kabul airport. Uh, and so that work continues on. The State Department set up a cell uh, to, to continue this work and develop a, a mechanism. That cell is, uh, is headed up by uh, Ambassador Bass. As you may recall, Ambassador Bass was uh, one of the senior counselors on the ground at HKIA as we were conducting the invest investigation. I have a general officer uh, as, that is a part of that uh, that cell, uh, and, and we have reached out to, uh, or Ambassador Bass has reached out to uh, veterans groups and others who may have information that, uh, that can help us uh, continue to contact and eventually uh, evacuate American citizens and LPRs. So this work continues, and, and we remain uh, committed to continuing that work until we get out uh, as many uh, American citizens that are willing to come out. Well, there was a point and you can call it the eye of the storm, when the Taliban had taken over the country but really wasn't in charge when we could have evacuated a great many more Americans and our Afghan allies, the translators and others, 
guards, security officers, and I feel that the administration was on notice. In fact, a group of us went to the White House in the spring and urged that there be a plan for evacuation. And unfortunately, the withdrawal prevented there from being anybody on the ground. And in the wake of that withdrawal, there was a vacuum of leadership. And I would hope that there would be more effective action now to put somebody in charge and develop a plan because we know that there are many Americans, whether it's uh, green card holders or citizens or others still there uh, in Connecticut. We have a resettlement organization called IRIS. Chris George, who heads it, has told us of individuals who are still there, more than 40 in Kabul. I'm sure other organizations similarly know of such Americans who are still there. Thank, Thank you. you, Senator Blumenthal. Senator Cotton, please. One final question. General Milley, I can only conclude that your advice about staying in Afghanistan was rejected. I'm shocked to learn that your advice wasn't sought until August 25th on staying past the August 31 deadline. I, I understand that you're the principal military advisor, that you advise, you don't decide, the president decides. But if all this is true, General Milley, why haven't you resigned? Senator, as a senior military officer, um, resigning is a really serious thing. It's a political act if I'm resigning in protest. My job is to provide advice. My statutory responsibility is to provide legal advice or best military advice to the president, and that's my legal requirement. That's what the law is. Um, the president doesn't have to agree with that advice. He doesn't have to make those decisions uh, just because we're generals. And it would be an incredible act of political defiance for a commissioned officer to just resign because my advice is not taken. This country doesn't want generals figuring out what orders we are going to accept and do or not. That's not our job. The principle of civilian control of the military is absolute. It's critical to this republic. In addition to that, just from a personal standpoint, you know, my, my dad didn't get a choice to resign at Iwo Jima. And those kids that are at Abbey Gate, they don't get a choice to resign. And I'm not going to turn my back on them. Uh, I, I'm not going to resign. They can't resign, so I'm not going to resign. There's no way. Uh, if the orders are illegal, we're in a different place. But if the orders are legal from civilian authority, I intend to carry them out. Thank you, Senator Cotton. General McKenzie, General Miller told this committee uh, that he recommended keeping 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, and this is back in January of 2021, uh, because he felt that Afghan forces would not hold out long without our support. It seems to me that there would have been a process to convey General Miller's recommendation to the President. Can you share the process uh, and who conveyed General Miller's recommendation? And was that recommendation delivered to both President Trump at the time and also to President Biden? So there, there is a process for delivering uh, recommendations from commanders in the field. I was part of that process. While I've been very clear that I won't give you my recommendation, I've given you my view, which will 
I think you can draw your own conclusions from. And my view is that 2,500 was an appropriate number to remain. And that if we went below that number, in fact, we would probably witness a collapse of the Afghan government and, uh, and the Afghan military. So, General McKenzie, may I, may I just, the, I guess my question is, would it be fair for the committee to assume that both President Trump and President Biden received that specific information that had been uh, assumed to be delivered by General Miller? I believe it would be uh, reasonable for the committee to assume that. And would General Miller have been able to deliver that directly to the president, or would someone else have had to have delivered that for him? I would leave it to General Miller to express an opinion on that, but he and I both had the opportunity to be in executive session with the president, and I can't share anything beyond making that statement. Thank you. Secretary Austin, um, this committee was briefed on the series of rock drills, a rehearsal of concept drills that examined the many potential scenarios that could arise through the execution of different types of actions and counteractions. We've been briefed by multiple leaders that the worst case scenario, an unforecasted collapse of the Afghan government, was not something that these drills factored in as a possibility. Is it true that we actually did tabletop exercises and we actually went through these drills and we never assumed that there could be an immediate collapse of the Afghan government? We, we plan for a range of, uh, of possibilities. Uh, the entire collapse of the Afghan government uh, was, uh, was clearly one of the things that, uh, if you look at the intel estimates and some of the estimates uh, that others had made, that could happen. But in terms of specific planning, especially with respect to NEO, we plan uh, for, uh, you know, a contested uh, environment or an uncontested environment, uh, the requirement to, uh, to evacuate uh, a moderate amount of people versus a large amount of people. So there was a range of possibilities that we addressed. But never with an immediate collapse of the government. We certainly did not plan against a collapse of a government in 11 days. Thank you. Um, General Milley, uh, I think Senator Cotton made a very good point with regard to the timing, the collapse uh, of Kabul, and the time in which you were asked for your professional military opinion about the path forward. What seems to be the real challenge for many of us is, is that it appears that in your professional military opinion, uh, it would have been prudent to have used a different approach than a date certain with regard to a withdrawal from Afghanistan. And if that is correct, and if there were other alternatives presented to the president, I'm certain that the frustration that you felt in not having your professional military advice followed closely by an incoming president, that you were then tasked in a very short period of time with handling what was a, a position in time for the people that were on the ground there to respond in an emergency basis. Would it be fair to say that you changed from a, a, a long-term plan of gradual withdrawal based on conditions to one in which you had to make immediate changes based upon a date certain? Senator, um, as a matter of professional advice, I would advise any leader, uh, don't put date certain on end dates, make things conditions-based. Um, two presidents in a row put dates on it. Um, I don't think that's a, 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 my advice is 
don't put specific dates. Uh, make things conditions-based. That is, that is how I've been trained over many, many years. Uh, Thank with respect, though, to the 31st uh, and the decision on the 25th, the risk to mission and the risk to force, and most importantly, the risk to the American citizens that are remaining, uh, that was going to go up, not down, on the 1st of September. Uh, and the American citizens, I know there's American citizens there, uh, but they would have been at greater risk had we stayed past the 31st. Secretary Austin, I'd like to start with you. Thank you. Thank Did you, President Mr. Biden or any of his national security advisors express any military or diplomatic conditions for the American withdrawal from Afghanistan beyond the looming date of 9-11? What were those military conditions or diplomatic conditions that were outlined to you? Again, once the president went through a, a very deliberate decision-making process and made his decision that to, to exit uh, uh, Afghanistan, there were no additional conditions placed on it. Can you tell me that he did take into consideration military or diplomatic conditions, and what were those conditions that he was weighing as he was making those decisions? Sure. One of the things that... Uh, you know, all of us wanted to see happen was uh, for this uh, this conflict to end with a di with a uh, diplomatic solution. And, and so, one of the things that we, we certainly wanted to see was progress being made in the Doha negotiations. And we did not see, or he did not see, any progress being made. And uh, and there was really not much of a bright future uh, for that process. So General Milley had stated earlier that uh, his recommendation should, is always, as any military commander should do, should be conditions-based. And we have to be able to evaluate whether those conditions are achievable um, and if we can successfully complete those. It sounds like there were very little or very little consideration given to uh, diplomatic or military conditions. The diplomatic, um, again, going to conditions-based, uh, the diplom diplomatic end to it, I think, um, General Milley, you also said that the military mission would end on the 31st and transition to a diplomatic mission. But I don't understand how we fulfill a diplomatic mission after August 31st when there are absolutely no diplomats on the ground in Afghanistan. They're gone. They've been evacuated. Who do we hand that mission off to when there is nobody there to complete it? Um, so can you then say that the president directed you, Secretary Austin, to execute an unconditional withdrawal from Afghanistan? Unconditional. August 31st, done. Once he made the decision to, the, to withdraw, I mean, we, that, that was the decision to, to leave. And uh, we certainly uh, wanted to make sure that we, uh, we shaped conditions so that our embassy could maintain a presence there and continue to engage uh, the government of, uh, of Afghanistan. So Secretary protection Austin. of the embassy was, was, was pretty important. Yes, Secretary Austin, you are extremely diplomatic in your answers. I can appreciate that. But this was not a conditions-based withdrawal. And I think all three of you have stated that you made your best 
uh, opinion known to the President of the United States. He had no conditions other than to get our people out of Afghanistan, which he failed at because we still have Americans as well as Afghan partners in Afghanistan. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I yield back. Thank you, Senator Ernst. Uh, Senator King, please. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm finding this a very interesting hearing. It's really two hearings at once. One is on the question of should we leave Afghanistan, and if we shouldn't, what should be the nature of our troop commitment and our commitment to the country? The other is the withdrawal, which I thought was the subject of the hearing. Uh, the decision to leave Afghanistan was made by President Trump and his administration on February 29, 2020, where we committed to leave by a date certain. There was a particular provision or a condition, if you will, about negotiations between the Taliban and the Afghan government. There was even a date specified, March 10, 2020, less than two weeks after the signing of the Doha Agreement. Clearly, that condition was not met. My question is, and General Milley, you were the only one who overlapped the two administrations, were there any efforts on behalf of the prior administration to enforce that condition of negotiation with the uh, Afghan government and the Taliban? Senator, as I said in my opening remarks, um, the conditions that were uh, required of the Taliban, none of them were met except one. My question is, did we attempt to enforce those conditions? Did we inform the Taliban, for example, we won't advocate for the release of 5,000 prisoners unless you begin negotiations, or something similar? Um, I, I don't have personal knowledge of that, uh, whether or not, you know, Zal Kalazade or others were personally saying that. I, I, I can't, I don't have personal knowledge of that. But I do know that none of the conditions were met except the one which don't attack American forces and coalition forces. That condition was The conditions were not met, but, the, but you testified that the troop withdrawals and Correct. the release of the 5,000 Taliban prisoners Correct. did proceed, Correct. even though the conditions had not been met. Is that correct? That is correct. And you've testified you provide your best of military advice to President Biden that there should be a, a residual force left in Afghanistan. Did you provide the same advice to President Trump when they were negotiating the Doha Agreement? Um, again, I, I'm not going to discuss precise advice. Was it your best military judgment that a residual at, at that time? Yes, and that's what that uh, a series of uh, memos and advice and meetings, et cetera, in the September October timeframe. That's exactly what they were, and you can talk to Secretary Asper; he could tell you the same thing. So your military judgment didn't change on January 20th. No, thank you. Uh, General McKenzie, you, you touched on something that you were the only one to mention it in this entire hearing. In my judgment, one of the key moments was the fleeing of President Ghani, and that that is, in fact, what really pulled the rug out from under the military and demoralized the entire government. That was really the, not the beginning of the end, the end of the end. Is that, is, do, you, do you have some thoughts on that? I think when we consider what happened to the Afghan military, you have to consider it linked uh, completely linked to what happened to the Afghan government. And when your president flees literally on no notice in the middle of the day, that has a profoundly debilitating effect on everything else. Now, events were pretty far along on 15 August, so I, wanna, I, would, I would note that. But I do believe it is possible they could have fought and held parts of Kabul had the president stayed. 
I think that really uh, demoralized those remnants of Afghans. And there were still considerable Afghan combat formations around Kabul on 15 August. I believe they were really disorganized by that and led to the Taliban really pushing in as fast as they wanted to go into the center of the city. I do want to point out for the record that, to my knowledge and memory, this committee never had a hearing on the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan in February of 2020. And it now appears that would have been a beneficial hearing because we could have discussed all of these issues, and, but we were already on the path for withdrawal. And the withdrawal date uh, in, in, under that agreement was May 1st of 2021. President Biden extended that I don't know whether it was a negotiation or some kind of understanding until the end of, of, of August. General Milley, uh, in questioning from Senator Cotton, you talked about your military advice about leaving on August 31st versus staying to try to help additional Americans leave. Was it the unanimous recommendation of the Joint Chiefs that the August 31st date should be observed? And if, if so, why was that the military advice? It was of the Joint Chiefs, plus General McKenzie, General Miller, and General Don uh, not Miller, but uh, Admiral Vaisley and General Donahue. Uh, and the reason is risk to force, risk to mission, and risk to the American citizens. Uh, on the 1st of September, we were going to go to war again with the Taliban. Of that, there was no doubt. Um, and we were already uh, at, in, in conflict with ISIS. So uh, at that point in time, if, if we stayed past the 31st, which militarily is feasible, but it would have required an, an additional commitment of significant amounts of forces, probably 18th Airborne Corps, 15, 20, maybe 25,000 troops. We would have had to reseize Bagram. We would have had to clear Kabul, the 6,000 Taliban that were already in Kabul. Uh, that's what would have happened uh, beginning on the 1st. Uh, and that would have resulted in significant casualties on the U.S. side, and it would have placed American citizens that are still there uh, at greater risk, uh, in my professional view and in the view of all the other generals. So on the 25th, we recommended... Uh, that we transition to a diplomatic option beginning on the 31st. Thank you, General. Thank, Thank you, Senator King. Uh, Senator Tillis, please. General Miller, you said that the, um, the, the Taliban had not lived up to the terms of the agreement. When was, what, give me a rough date of when they first breached uh, terms of the agreement. When they where, where you said they were not living up to the terms yeah. of the Doha agreement. What was the first evidence that they were not living up to the terms of the agreement? Yeah, the, the, the memo signed 29 February, so through the uh, really the fighting season of the summer of 20. One of the requirements, for example. Okay, so more than a year ago. Absolutely. Okay. Sure. They sent pictures of the slit throats of people that we were working personally with. They killed this pregnant woman. They killed this police officer. And they are killing countless other people now that we should have gotten out. Secretary Austin, I, I think we do owe a debt of gratitude to the people that got 120,000, 124,000 people out. It was a logistical success, but this is a strategic failure. General McKenzie, General Miller said 2,500. I've heard uh, you and, and, and uh, uh, General Milley also say you agreed with the idea. You personally agreed. You didn't necessarily say that you recommended to the president the 2,500. I understood from General Milley or General Miller, that, that there was a, a broader context within that recommendation. There were 2,500 fighters, U.S. fighters, but I understand almost 5,000 NATO allies or 5,000 others that were willing to remain on the ground and, as General Miller said, keep the hand on the shoulder of the Afghan National Forces 
so that we could have a counter to the Taliban. Is that correct, that it was bigger than that? It was in the probably the uh, 7,000 range? Senator, you're correct. Yeah. Our NATO allies would have been on board for a And also a CIA presence with bases out there for human intelligence for, to, to help us be more precise, more exquisite with the execution of whatever operations we had on the ground? That is correct, Senator. Okay. Now, I know that you won't say that uh, you advised the president, but is it fair to say that when General Miller, Miller he said that he advised all of you on his recommendations, it sounds like uh, two of the three of you agreed with it, is it at least fair to say that in the interagency discussion that those recommendations were made and that in your best military advice, it would have stayed, kept the situation stable in Afghanistan? Well, I've, I've stated consistently that my position was if you go below 2,500, you're going to look at a collapse of the Afghan military. I, didn't, I did not foresee it to be days. I thought it would take months. But the rest of the ecosystem would go out with it, too. The, okay. the NATO partners are going to leave. The interagency is going to leave. And you're going to leave the Afghans by themselves. Did any of you um, uh, embrace the notion that the 2,500 plus the several thousand, I think an estimated 5,000 NATO allies and partners who were willing to stay there as well, did any of, uh, did any of you uh, agree with the president's assessment that if he acted on that recommendation that he would ultimately have to send tens of thousands more uh, U.S. Uh, service members to Afghanistan? That if we held that one, that it would ultimately just delay the day where we would be back to 100,000 or 50,000 U.S. forces in Afghanistan? So, Senator, th these discussions were in, occurring in January, February, March. They're separate from the late August discussion, so I want to make, I want to make that point. But in your, in your best military judgment, do you believe that the recommendations that General Miller put forth with some 2,500, and I think General Milley said maybe flex up to 3,500, do you believe that that would have sown the seeds for ultimately having to send tens of thousands of uh, U.S. service members back to Afghanistan, Senator, as the president has, has said publicly? Senator, I believe there was a risk you would incur increasing attacks by the Taliban. That was a risk withholding at 2,500. That was a very clear risk. But I'll tell you, Senator, I'm really humbled recently by my ability to deduce what the Taliban would or would not do, so I think it's hard to know. By October 2018, the Afghan government controlled only 54 percent of the 407 districts, and by May 2020, the Afghan government controlled less than a third of Afghan's 407 districts. We poured money and support and air cover, and the Afghan government continued to fail. By 2021, it was clear that 2,500 troops could not successfully prop up a government that had been losing ground and support to the Taliban for years. Secretary Austin, I understand that you advised the pre President Biden to stay in Afghanistan, but as you acknowledge, staying or withdrawing is a decision for the President alone. So I want to focus on what happened next. Once President Biden made the decision to have U.S. forces leave the country, who designed the evacuation? Well, Senator, I, uh, again, um, I, I won't uh, uh, address what I advise, uh, the advice I gave the president. I would just say that uh, in, his, in his calculus, uh, this was not risk-free, and uh, the Taliban, as we said earlier in this, uh, in this hearing, uh, were committed to uh, recommencing their operations against our forces. 
Uh, his assessment was that in order to sustain that and continue to do things uh, that, that benefited the Afghans, uh, that would require at some point that he increase uh, uh, the presence, uh, our presence there in Afghanistan. So once he made the decision, uh, then of course from a military perspective, uh, in, in terms of the retrograde uh, of the people and the equipment, uh, that, was, that planning was done uh, uh, by Central Command and certainly principally by, uh, by General Miller. Okay. Very, very detailed planning, and, uh, and then we came back and briefed the entire interagency on, on the details of that plan. Okay, so the military planned the evacuation. Did President Biden follow your advice on executing on the evacuation plan? He, he did. Did President Biden give you all the resources that you needed? From my view, he did. Did President Biden ignore your advice on the evacuation at any point? No, Senator, he did not. Did he refuse any request for anything that you needed or asked for? Uh, no. So the president followed the advice of his military advisors in planning and executing this withdrawal. As we've already established, the seeds for our failure in Afghanistan were planted many, many years ago. So let me ask you one more question, Secretary Austin. Knowing what you know now, if we had stayed in Afghanistan for another year, would it have made a fundamental difference? Again, it depends on what size you remain in at and, and uh, what your objectives are. But to look at the past and look at the future and look at all three of those elements as we're making that kind of assessment. And if we're going to do that, we have to look over the last 20 years that we were in Afghanistan, and we're going to have to have a pretty hard-nosed assessment of that. General Milley, you mentioned that. Strategic decisions uh, have consequences, and there are a lot of lessons to be learned over 20 years of our involvement in Afghanistan. Uh, I sat at this table here at the Armed Services for, for many years, served in the House before, uh, had, a, had an opportunity to travel to Afghanistan on a couple of occasions. And when I've, we've ever asked uh, our military leaders uh, the situation in Afghanistan, we often heard, well, it's a stalemate right now, but this year coming up is going to be different. This year will be different. I heard that year after year. This year is going to be different. Yeah, I know we were in a stalemate, but this year is going to be different. There's one commentator has said, and, and Secretary Austin, I want you to comment on this. He said that we didn't really have a 20-year war in Afghanistan. We had 21-year wars uh, in Afghanistan. How would you respond to that? I would certainly say, Senator, that's something to think about. Uh, you know, you heard me say in my opening comments, uh, yeah, we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. Did we have the right strategy? Did we have too many strategies? And so if you're recooking uh, or, or reshaping that strategy every year, one year at a time, then that, uh, then that has consequences. So I think that's, that's something we got to go back and look at. And we also have to look at the impact, the effect of uh, the corruption uh, that was in the environment, uh, weak leadership, changes in leadership, and, and a number of factors. Well, I want to I build on that because I think it's important, uh, Secretary Austin. Uh, uh, for example, General Milley, when you commanded NATO ground forces in Afghanistan eight years ago, you called 2013 a critical year for the Afghan security forces because it was the first time they'd taken responsibility for their security across the country. 
Secretary Austin, you offered similar assessments in 2015 and 2016 during testimony before this committee. As CENTCOM commander, you emphasized that there were 326,000 ANSF uh, forces and they were ready to lead uh, security uh, uh, operations. Um, and, and I'll just say, uh, uh, from also my experience, especially when I was in Afghanistan, uh, the, the input that I got from our commanders uh, was that this year is going to be different. We're going to be able to do things better. But I got a completely different assessment when I went to the mess hall and ate with the soldiers and the Marines and the folks on the ground who said, I don't trust these folks that we're with. I, I, I don't know if they're going to fight. In fact, they don't even show up. They get their paycheck, but they don't show up. Uh, and now there may have been some instances where, where, where they've performed, and I know you've highlighted some of those. But my question from a strategic standpoint is, did we just become fixated perhaps on some tactical performance from our forces, their forces, and forget to measure the Afghan security forces' actual institutional health as a fighting force that could sustain a fight, even though they're in an incredibly weak economy and a whole host of complicated cultural issues? Uh, cl clearly questions that we, we have to drill deep on. Um, at one point, as you know, Senator, uh, we had a number of advisors down to uh, you know, fairly low levels. As we began to lift the numbers of advisors that we had there and, and, and scale back on, uh, on uh, the people that we had uh, uh, interfacing with the uh, Afghans on a daily basis, we began to lose that fingertip uh, feel. And so uh, our ability to assess uh, with some degree of certainty continued to erode. A patriotic American who represented the best of all of us in the August 26th suicide bombing at Hamid Karzai International Airport, he made the ultimate sacrifice. So, how did we get here? And how did we get to what has been a complete letdown to most Tennesseans? And I've got a few questions. These are yes or no questions. So quick answers are appreciated. Um, General Milley, were there options given for keeping American troops in Afghanistan rather than the unconditional chaotic withdrawal? Yes. You presented options, and those options were declined. There were options presented and debated? Yes or no. The decision was made. Yes or, yes or no is fine. Did you at any point create options for keeping Bagram open beyond July 2nd? Yes. Did you provide options for keeping Bagram open directly to the president? Yes. Had Bagram stayed open, would our support to the Afghan Air Force have been more effective in your view? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the last part. If Bagram had stayed open, would our support to the Afghan Air Force have been more effective in your view? Yes or no? Uh, frankly, I'm not sure on that one because most of the Afghan Air Force was a different basis, specifically at HKIA. President Biden keeps calling it an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary success. We've discussed some of this today. Is leaving Americans behind an extraordinary success in your view? Secretary Austin? We're not leaving uh, Americans yes behind. Yes or no is fine. Is the killing of 13 American servicemen and women while trying to secure a chaotic evacuation of the president's own making an extraordinary success? 
the loss of any civilian life is, it, is always tragic. It's the in fact my, that we failed to evacuate most of our Afghan partners an extraordinary success, or the fact that we have Afghans bringing uh, child brides, people who are hardly vetted, is that an extraordinary success? Again, these are issues that we continue to work uh, to get our American citizens out and the Afghans per, to help us. Let me uh, move on. Per Article 2 of the Constitution, the President may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments. Did the President ever require or request written recommendations related to the withdrawal of the Afghan forces? Yes or no? Secretary Austin, then General Milley, then General McKenzie. Yes or no? We provided, uh, I provided our, our input as a part of a, okay. a, a, a policy process that, uh, that was okay. uh, very well and, okay. and deliberately run. We will note that you didn't completely answer that. General Milley, any written form? Yes. And now we have people who are desperately, frantically trying to get out of this country, coming to me, coming to members of this committee, asking for help. They can't get that help. They're stuck behind enemy lines. So please don't tell me that we're not leaving Americans behind. You left them behind. Joe Biden left them behind. And frankly, it was a disgrace. Well, Let me ask you this, though. Senator, thanks for your help in, in continuing to help get uh, American citizens and Afghans who have helped us out of the country. But as you've seen, we've continued to facilitate. Well, actually, I didn't ask you a question, but since you seem to want to address the issues, so, so since you do, isn't it true that you left Americans behind on August the 31st? There are Americans, there were Americans that were still in, uh, in Afghanistan and still yes. are. We continue Correct. to work to try to get those Americans out. Yeah, that, that's a yes. Let's, let's not repeat, please, the, the frankly falsehood that we didn't leave Americans behind. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, General, uh, Secretary Austin, you said, you've alluded to several times the fact that the military was ready. You say this in your prepared remarks. By late April, you say military planners who crafted a number of evacuation scenarios. You refer later in your remarks to the fact that you were waiting for the State Department to make a decision about evacuations. NBC News is reporting this morning that the military wanted to begin evacuations earlier, but the State Department and the White House intervened and by May the 8th said, no, we're, we're delaying the evacuations of our civilians. Can you just help us get to the truth here? Was it your judgment and opinion that the evacuations of civilians should have begun before the middle of August? We provided our input to the State Department. And again, it is the call of the State Department to... to, to I, I understand that. I understand that, Mr. Secretary. I'm asking for what your, your judgment was. And I'm asking specifically about your testimony that in April you develop evacuation scenarios. And this is reported by multiple sources this morning in the news. So I just wonder, as of late April, was it, was it your opinion that the evacuations of civilians should begin, should have begun before, should begin earlier than they did? It, it, uh, we provided input to, uh, to try to get out as many uh, uh, Afghans who have helped us uh, along the way uh, as, you know, as early as possible. Uh, but again, the State Department uh, has, you know, made its decisions based upon the fact that even President Ghani had engaged them and said, hey, we, we're very concerned about, you know, the mass exodus of civilians from the, from the country. Let me, General Milley, let me, let me direct this to you. D did you. Did you ever advise in the interagency process that the rapid withdrawal timeline that the White House, the Pentagon signed off on, General Miller proposed effectively getting us to zero by the middle of July, that that would negatively impact any effort to get out our civilians. In other words, if we'd drawn down to zero by July, if we then had a, 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 a civilian evacuation ordered, 
we'd be in a lot of trouble. Did you ever, did you ever advise to that, uh, to that effect during the interagency process? Did you warn about that possibility of drawing down so quickly before a civilian evacuation was underway? The, um, yeah, but it's more complicated than that. The, um, the drawdown of the forces under Miller, that is, those guys are advisors. They're not the NEO kind of guys. The NEO troops are Marine Expeditionary Unit, Special Purpose MAGTAF, and elements of the 82nd Airborne Division. That's what you need in order to do the NEO. Those are the plans, I believe, that the Secretary is referring to that were developed early on. And there's specific triggers that are required, and the State Department calls the time of the NEO. Uh, Secretary, in fact, on the 12th of August, uh, started pushing forward uh, forces and orders. And on the 14th, the Ambassador, Ambassador Wilson, called the NEO. Should that have been called earlier? That, I think that's an open question that needs further exploration based on a series of meetings. But the April piece and the, the drawdown of the advisors, that's a separate and distinct task and the retrograde of those forces. Those 2,500 advisors weren't the guys bringing out the American citizens anyway. Those were the advisors to the Afghan security forces. There were concerns that we raised um, throughout the interagency that when those advisors, uh, if the advisors were to stay, uh, then the, uh, there's a possibility that, you know, the Afghan security forces would hang in there. We all knew that when we pulled the advisors out, when we pulled the money out, that at some point in the future, most said it was in the fall, that the Afghan security forces were going to fracture and the government would collapse. The speed at which that happens in August is a different animal. The advisors are already gone by mid-July. There is still a government. There is still an Afghan army. And the assumption was that it would remain, and the mission was to keep the embassy open, secure the embassy, <clears throat> transition that off to contractors, uh, and then all the military would be out, and then it would be a diplomatic mission, and there'd be money and over the horizon. None of that and happened because today. that army and that government collapsed very it's rapidly. As soon as those indicators came a fracture, Secretary Austin. And the assumption seems to be that you could make a different decision, for example, on August 31st, and everything would have been okay, and we would have gotten more people out. My understanding, General Milley, is that it was your view that making that decision to go beyond August 31st, and I'm using this as an example, would have had consequences which you and your colleagues judged would be far more damaging and dangerous to American lives than the decision to leave on August 31st, including being back at war with the Taliban, subject to terrorist attacks, and subject to uh, perhaps airplanes being shot down by the Taliban. Can you, uh, am I right about this, where the, the risk calculus was? That's correct, Senator. We said uh, risk to mission, risk to force, and risks to remaining American citizens in Afghanistan was going to go to extremely high beginning 1 September if we stayed past 31st with U.S. military forces. And, and you use that term risk to mission, risk to force as a kind of, that's a descriptive phrase, but we're talking about potentially hundreds of American lives, Where are we not? Well, uh, when we talk risk to force, we're specifically talking casualties, killed and wounded. Uh, and our estimate, my estimate uh, at the time, this is 25 August we're talking about, is if we go to war with the Taliban on the 1st of September, there were 6,000 Taliban and 56 checkpoints in Kabul at that time. We would have had to clear Kabul. We would have had to reseize uh, Bagram in, uh, in the road, this 30 miles of road in between Bagram and Kabul, 
that would have taken a significant amount of force. We're looking at probably a core operation. We probably, my guess, is that we would have had significant amounts of killed and wounded. The exact numbers are always imprecise when you're doing those kinds of estimates, but it would have been significant U.S. military killed and wounded, and the remaining American citizens would have been at greater risk. You mentioned we'd have to have to retaken Kabul. They had 6,000 troops. As I remember discussions in this committee when we were talking about retaking Mosul, the generally accepted rule of thumb is that it takes 10 troops to dislodge one in, in a city, that dislodging troops in a city is very difficult and takes a large number of attacking troops. Is that correct? It is, but the disposition and composition of the Taliban in Kabul at that time was not the same as ISIS in Mosul. Mosul was a prepared defense. Uh, they were dug in, they were ready to go, underground positions, et cetera. The Taliban had just moved in, so it would have been not that level of fight that you saw in Mosul, but it still would have been significant. 6,000 is 6,000, and you're in an urban area of about 5 million people, so it would have been a significant level of effort, and it would have resulted in significant U.S. casualties. Thank you. Uh, Do you know, and I, I want to be clear on this, there was a deadline in the Doha Agreement of March 10th for the beginning of negotiations. Did the administration, the former administration, make any objections or raise problems with the Taliban because of their failure to meet that deadline or indeed to ever meet that deadline in terms of negotiations with the Afghan government? I don't have personal knowledge of that. Zal Khalizade might be a good one, or former Secretary of State, uh, but I, I don't personally know. General McKenzie, uh, uh, I, I don't want to go over the same ground, but do you agree with General Milley that had we gone beyond August 31st, it, that decision wasn't just, oh, we're going to abandon Americans. It was if we leave, if we stay until uh, September 1st, we would have to make an additional troop commitment and our troops would be at risk. Is that correct? Senator, that, that's exactly correct. And actually in the meeting in the tank, with the JCS, I was the principal briefer who advanced that argument, and that does reflect my position. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator uh, King. Senator Rounds, please. Th thank you, Mr. Chairman. In listening to your testimony today, and I've appreciated the amount of effort that you put into being uh, very clear with us, it seems to me that, that we have left a power void in Central Asia that has already increased the threat of terrorism and has provided significant opportunities to our adversaries. Uh, Secretary Austin, a little while ago you indicated uh, that, and I believe your term was, that the, if we would have had to have made an earlier withdrawal, perhaps in April or May, that it would have been very, very difficult to have had had that completed in an orderly manner. And I think that's the, the way that you described it. Is that correct, sir? That's correct, sir. I think also, sir, you would probably agree that the, that the, that the withdrawal uh, on the August 30th, August 31 deadline was probably not an orderly, done in, a, in an orderly manner either, was it? There are two issues here, uh, Senator, if I may. Uh, first of all, uh, you'll recall that we stated that General Miller planned for an, an orderly evacuation in, of people and retrograde of equipment. Uh, that plan was laid out, it was uh, re rehearsed, and it was executed so that by early July, 
Uh, all of the equipment that uh, we wanted to retrograde had been retrograded, and, and most of the people were out, except for a small element that was in, uh, in around uh, the, the embassy and on HKIA. General Milley, our military executed a massive operation during the month of August. As I understand it, it was larger than the Berlin airlift. For the record, can you just tell us how many Americans you evacuated? Uh, almost 6,000. Um, I can get your precise number for the record, but it's that's, about 6,000. Let's get the right number for the record, but that's, sure. that's helpful. And how many people in total did the U.S. and coalition forces evacuate? 124,000. Total 44,000 went out on non-U.S. aircraft, and the rest came out on U.S. aircraft. Okay, an extraordinary effort, but still, it's hard to get everyone Largest out. Largest airlift in history. Right. Uh, hard to get everyone out. One problem, of course, is that there were so many Afghan SIV applicants in Kabul waiting to be evacuated because the Trump administration had essentially shut the program down. Withdrawal was a massive operation conducted in a chaotic, unpredictable environment. And some people have criticized you for leaving on August 31st, but I just want to explore that for a minute. General Milley, once the Afghan government collapsed in August, would you say that staying past the date of their collapse would have exposed the force on the ground to substantial additional risk? Yes, and that is exactly what we assessed, that if we stayed past the 31st, the risk to force U.S. military casualties, the risk to the mission, the ability to execute the, continue to execute a NEO, and most importantly, the risk to the American citizens that are still there was going to go to, we assessed, very high levels, um, and we thought that that was a level of risk that was unacceptable. Okay, and just so I'm sure, and everybody's got this on the record, so if we'd stayed another week or two or three, then it's likely there would have been another attack that killed American service members. Is that what you're saying? I would say that that is a near certainty. All right. For years, we poured money into the Afghan government. And for years, we trained their army. We outfitted them with all the best American equipment. We provided them with overwhelming air power. Even so, both the Afghan government and the army collapsed almost instantaneously. So, General Milley, let me ask you, given how quickly the Afghan government and the Afghan army collapsed, do you think that either or both would have been able to stand on their own with just another few months or another few years of American assistance and training? I think at this point that's unknowable, but my estimate at the time was um, if you kept advisors there, kept money flowing, et cetera, that we probably could have sustained them for a lengthy or indefinite period of time. Whether you know, or not you would have had a different result at the end of the day, um, that's a different question. I, you know, when, you, when I hear you say that, it reminds me of all the years that I've sat now on the Senate Armed Services Committee mm -hmm. and how many times the generals have come in front of us and when you point out every way in which the Afghan government was failing and the Afghan army was failing. Mm -hmm. The generals respond with, but we're turning the corner now. I, I didn't say we're turning the corner, Senator. I said we could sustain them. And that we would be able to keep them, and somehow when we got ready to withdraw, they would be so well sustained that they would not have collapsed instantaneously the way they did after 20 years of sustenance and training. Well, I think the end state probably would have been the same no matter when you did it. Well, you know... Right. I believe that leaving a force behind would have necessitated that force staying indefinitely. That's right. And many of those service members would have been exposed to unnecessary risk and harm. That's exactly right. 
General Milley, this morning you called the Afghan retrograde a logistical success, but, quote, a strategic failure. I appreciate your honest assessment. I believe the President of the United States is solely responsible for this. Mr. Secretary, do you know if anyone, the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, or Undersecretary for Policy of DOD has offered their resignation to take responsibility for this fiasco? I do not. Okay. I do not, but I don't believe they have. Okay, thank you. So, what the American people fail to understand, however, and what I, too, have difficulty accepting is the idea that the circumstances we found ourselves in were inevitable. So I'd like to ask about a few areas where perhaps we might have taken a different approach that could have given us more time to accomplish the mission. So General McKenzie, uh, why was it always the responsibility of the U.S. and coalition forces or contractors to maintain Afghan, Afghan aircraft and equipment? And why were the Afghan forces either not trained or not given this responsibility over the last 20 years? So I think you begin with the basic technological literacy of the country, which began in, in, when we first had uh, dealings with them in 2001. You know, you're talking to people who are coming out of rule by the Taliban in position of Sharia law, a Stone Age approach to these things. You cannot impose technological literacy quickly. So that's why it took a long time, and we were still not finished with the Afghan Air Force. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot of contract maintenance done for a lot of air forces around the world. The Afghan Air Force is not unique in that regard, although in this case it was particularly telling because they were so dependent on it. And so understanding that, would, have, would it have been helpful to keep Bagram Air Base open in order to uh, help with any of... Uh, any of this going on, any of the evacuation, anybody else coming through the country, another place for our citizens, people from other countries, or a special SIV holders, any of those folks? Ma'am, I was intimately involved in all the decisions on Bagram, and in no way would Bagram have been able to contribute to either the effective use of the Afghan Air Force, its continued maintenance, or bringing people out. And, and I can, very briefly, I can tell you that once we went below 2,500, people in Afghanistan, we lost the ability to hold Bagram Air Base. And it was inevitable that we were going to have to come out of Bagram because we ended up in late June, early July with 650 Marines and soldiers in the country. It was not, fe it was not feasible to hold Bagram under those circumstances. So we were driven by the plan, which we had all had an opportunity to work, that we were going to come out of Bagram. There was no way we were going to be able to keep Bagram and go to effective zero in Afghanistan. Just not possible. Well. Thinking of what we um, have, uh, may have gained or may have lost as we leave, uh, we think about uh, countering adversaries. So again, General McKenzie, what is your assessment of the foreign influence in Afghanistan um, in the wake of our withdrawal? And what are the measures that we can take now to prevent our adversaries from filling the vacuum created by our departure? Senator, last week I was in Kazakhstan, in the capital of Kazakhstan, Nur Sultan, where I hosted a, a, what we call the Casa Chad conference. Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, the Kyrgyz Republic, 
uh, in Pakistan. We all met and we talked about th that region after the fall of Afghanistan. And generally, what they want is they want um, they want our, they want assurance. They want to continue to they want to continue to have ties with the United States because they want alternatives to Russia and they want alternatives to China. Unfortunately, because of their geographic location, they are going to always have to deal with Russia and China. But I think our partners in the region want a, want a message that the United States is not going to turn our back on them, even though we left Afghanistan. And we had a very productive two-day conference based on those themes. Well, I couldn't agree more because I think it makes us more vulnerable if we allow anyone else to fill that vacuum. I'd like to, in the uh, just minute I have left, just touch briefly on the, flight, the uh, uh, fate of Afghan women. Um, what we've seen regarding the status of women in territories where the Taliban had retained control prior to uh, overthrowing the Afghan government, we know how horrible the conditions are for women. And so... Um, what do you see moving forward for the fate of Afghan women? What can we do? Um, what do you see as the uh, future for women's Senator, rights so in Afghanistan? In, in, during our long engagement in Afghanistan, I think we make great strides in, in, in the educational and other opportunities for women in Afghanistan. I think those are all now gravely at risk with the return of the Taliban. So the, the levers that we have are economic and diplomatic. Uh, which are not, you know, not part of, uh, uh, of the Department of Defense. But I think that's how we have to work the problem. And I think, I do think there is opportunity. It, it will not be a long-lived opportunity, a matter of months perhaps, where we can, we can force the Taliban down a certain path based on their desire to have international financing, international recognition, the release of sanctions, and other things that are very important to them. So I think we've got to be very hard-nosed as we negotiate with them going forward to ensure these gains are not, uh, are not lost. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I really appreciate uh, the hearing today, and I'll be submitting more questions for the record. Thank you, Senator Rosen. Uh, Senator Blackburn, please. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. General Milley, I want to come back to you. Uh, we discussed that you have had conversations with Woodward, Costa, Leonic, Rucker, and Bender on their books, correct? Not Costa. You did not on Costa. Well, not, he took not the social media. Woodward, right? yes, and others. We'll, we'll leave that as a point of discussion. Okay, in any of these conversations, did you discuss private meetings with the president or White House officials? Um, White House officials, perhaps. President, I don't think so. So you never discussed any of your, pre your conversations with President Trump? With President Trump. With no. any of these authors. Not, not a private but, conversation. With okay. Trump. Did you portray the commander in chief in a negative light or make comments that were critical of the commander in chief to any of these authors with which you had conversations? Uh, not my comments or my observations, no. You others did not. that were relayed to me from others. Okay. Perhaps. Well, I'm looking forward to your book report on Great. this. Uh, would you see these conversations as an abuse of executive privilege? I would not, no. You would not, okay. Let me ask you this. What is your standard for determining when to leak private conversations with the president? I, I don't leak private conversations with the president. You did not. So I, you had these conversations with the authors, but you don't see that as leaking Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. General Milley, you've spoken today a lot about civilian control of the military. I appreciate the statements that you made about that today. On June the 10th, though, I asked for a formal 
questions for on formal questions for the record about Bagram Airfield, and I pointed out that having a major airbase within 500 miles of both Iranian and Chinese borders would be a strategically, very strategically in, invaluable. I asked you about the feasibility of retaining Bagram Airfield as a U.S. base. I'm still waiting for a reply. Uh, I hope you do see today ignoring, you know, questions that might come up from civilian oversight sometimes uh, backfires on you a little bit. You apologize for being late for your statement today, uh, the hearing, but uh, you just got to understand the pattern here. Uh, I heard Senator Blackburn say about the book, you know, uh, you got to see how demissive it looks to Congress that, that uh, you've had time to interview and do all these interviews, but questions aren't answered. So I'm just troubled by, by some of those things. And also, on August 18th, you said, quote, there's nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated the collapse of the Army uh, and this government in 11 days, end quote. I find it unbelievable with a staff of, your staff of 3,200 people and a budget of 419 million taxpayer dollars that we didn't see the obvious. Uh, but I do think you saw it because July 11, 2019, you said, quote, I think pulling out prematurely would be a strategic mistake, end quote. Mm -hmm. You said here today, and uh, you also said that here today. You agree? I 100% agree. Thank you. Um, May I comment? Yeah, go ahead. On your first two points. Uh, on the intel piece, I stay with what I said. There's, there's nobody called it 11 days in August. There's nobody who did that. Uh, and I brought the intel reports. We're going to classified session. I'm happy to go over all of them um, and on the first thing. And then the Bagram thing, I, I did put a very lengthy response in, in my written statement. I don't know if you had an opportunity to read it yet. I'd encourage you to read it. It is also something that General McKenzie put in his. Uh, and, and I can assure you uh, that we looked at that whole Bagram issue very, very carefully. Yeah. And here's what I'm struggling with, General McKenzie. Um, 1945, we left Japan. They're one of our biggest allies today. We're still there. Germany, the same way. Uh, Korea, the same way. Uh, we had 2,500 troops. We, the war stopped in 2014, and we started what? Operation, Operation Resolute, Resolute yeah, uh, Support. Uh, and we're having all these people cry. We got to get out of here. Folks, we are going to pay for what we just did. I mean, I got young kids, y'all got kids and grandkids. And we're going to be back in there fighting. Um, what's your thoughts about that, General McKenzie? And I know, you know we're not talking about the present. You know, what do you think about the future of what we've got to do in Afghanistan? So we have very few levers in Afghanistan right now because we, we're, we've completely pulled out. Will we yeah. be back? I, I think we're always going to reserve the right to go in to go after ISIS and al-Qaeda targets as they present themselves. We've been very clear on that. And that's not going to be easy, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the, in the closed session. It will not be easy to do that. It will be possible to do that. As for larger uh, engagements with the, with the Taliban or whatever government follows them, I mean, that's, that's going to be a hard road from where I sit, and I see a very small slice of that. That's really a question, you know, for, for diplomats and others to talk about how our future relationship with the government as a whole will be. But I think, I think my judgment will be, they're going to regress significantly in every sphere of activity in Afghanistan over the next few years with the Taliban in charge. We can afford to survive with our military. We got that kind of money. And it just makes, it just burns me up that we're eventually going to have to go back there. We're going, we're going to have problems here. Uh, I think we should have looked at it. I know President Biden wanted to get out. He told people, President Trump wanted to get out. 
I disagree with it. I mean, we gave up the best base in that area. And, and, and it's just amazing to me that we're going to have to go back and hopefully we don't lose it to China. What do you, what's your thoughts about it as we ended up here, uh, Secretary Austin? Well, I, I don't think it's preordained that we're going to have to go back, Senator. I, I would tell you that what you've heard us say is that uh, we recognize that uh, uh, transnational terrorists will migrate towards ungoverned spaces. Uh, we also are committed to not allowing uh, al-Qaeda to regenerate and be able to export terror from Afghanistan to, uh, to the United States of America. And we'll remain laser-focused on that going forward. And we'll do everything within our, within our power to make sure that that doesn't happen. Thank you. Could I ask you one question, Officer? Are you against dishonorable discharges to the military for not taking a vaccine? You're the leader of the DOD. I am the leader. Uh, and, and again, I don't, uh, we have a non-judicial, uh, excuse me, a UCMJ uh, that really addresses uh, all, of, uh, all of the issues in the military uh, and, and gives our, our leadership uh, what they need to be able to in, enforce standards. Uh, taking a vaccine is a requirement. And, uh, and again, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Thank you very much, Senator Tuberville. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. This has been a, a long day, and we still have a closed session in SVC 217. There's a vote ongoing now, so I would uh, suggest we reconvene in SVC 217 at 2 Excuse me, 3.45, we'll give an opportunity for a brief respite, very brief respite. With that, I will adjourn the open session. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.